Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come and Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is season 4 episode 184 and 185 of this daily study podcast. Yes, today we're going to uh, do a, like a, a double episode where we catch up on a few things uh, due to a couple of episodes being missed earlier this week. Today we are studying 2 Kings chapters 2 to 7 in the week of July the 4th to July the 10th. Uh, and today we're going to continue in chapter four, where we read about um, this widow um, and the um, the miracle that she will receive from Elisha. So um, I would like to to say here as well um, that if you remember, we were talking about uh, a woman, um, the Shunammite woman who has a husband and they have no child. Uh, and they have invited Elisha uh, over time to stay and to be fed and to be looked after by them. Um, and in verse uh, 16, uh, Elisha says, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. Now, we can we can imagine here that this response from the woman is not a an accusation to Elisha that he is lying, but rather it is a, a sign of almost, well, not quite disbelief, but just um, awe at how such a thing can happen uh, and what a blessing it really truly would be if it were able to happen to her. And clearly she must have had the faith because in verse 17, she conceives and has the son. Uh, but... Um, when the child grows up uh, a bit uh, after a number of years, uh, he's out working with his father. Uh, and in verse 19, he complains of a headache. Um, and when he returns to his mother, uh, in verse 20, it says, And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Um, this is obviously a very tragic circumstance, especially considering how miraculous this child was. Uh, to come into their lives, to then lose him, uh, would have been devastating. In verse uh, 21, uh, she brings him to Elisha um, and and calls her husband, uh, well, to the room that Elisha stays in often, puts him there and asks uh, one of the young men that, that works for them uh, to go get Elisha. Um, clearly, with the faith that something can be done still, she uh, tells Elisha that that the, the son her son has died, um, and she says in verse twenty eight, "Did I desire a son of my lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me?" So basically, reminding him of the instance where she didn't believe Elisha that she could possibly have a son, and now she has lost this son, which is even more devastating for her. Um, so Elisha um, has an interesting interaction here with her. She, he says to take the staff. Um, from his hand to go to the son and put it on the face of the child. But the mother doesn't accept that and just says, I'm not going to leave you. Now, bear this in mind, because in a chapter or two, we're going to read of an individual who doesn't believe what Elijah says will help heal him. Um, and yet um, he does end up doing that um, task and he is healed. In this case, the woman 
it's not a case that she doesn't believe that what Elisha says is true, but she just doesn't want to leave Elisha. She is desperate and she clearly has such faith in the prophet and desires him to come with her, perhaps for, for support, because she's just um, at a point where she just really needs some help. And so Elisha goes with her and is she's not chastised for it or she's not told that she doesn't have faith. Uh, for not doing the first thing that Elisha suggests. And I think it's important to remember that, um, you know, we can ask for things from the Lord and continue asking, and he won't uh, ignore us or um, condemn us for asking for things. Of course, there will be some things that perhaps we're just not able to have or is, or is not right for us, and we just won't receive them. But the Lord always invites us to ask and to reach out and connect with him. Uh, so I think that is a, a small lesson that we learn there. Well, Elijah comes to the house and he's able to to revive the child from death. Uh, and this is obviously a, a great blessing for the woman. Um, and she is uh, very grateful to Elisha. We then have two more miracles before the end of this particular chapter. Uh, one where there is food prepared um, with the sons of the prophets and um, Elisha and Someone has basically put something in the, this food that they shouldn't have and it becomes poisoned. Uh, and I love in verse 40 how they say this to Elisha. And it says, And it came to pass, as they were eating of the porridge, that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat thereof. Kind of how you might say, like, there's a fly in my soup or something like that. There's a, there's death in my pot. Um, but the, the prophet um, tells them to bring meal which could be like grain uh, and he casts it into the pot uh, and it is healed uh, there is no more poison in it uh, and then uh, again there is uh, a man uh, who has food um, and they want to give it to a certain amount of people um, and the food is multiplied uh, for this 100 people uh, and they are able to be fed so just remember you know <laughs> Looking at the miracles that are taking place here, multiplying of food, uh, multiplying of um, liquid uh, or um, th things in a vessel, um, a child being brought to life after it has died. Um, you know, all of these things are clearly meant to point us toward, again, to the Saviour and remind us of him. And now we're going to go into chapter five and look at one of probably the most famous uh, miracles we have with Elisha. Uh, and also, again, this miracle links us to the Saviour and reminds us of a particular miracle that he has done as well. We have Naaman, uh, captain of the host of the king of Syria. So Naaman's not an Israelite. He is a, a man who has travelled from another another country, uh, but he is a, a great uh, nobleman. Um, it says a great man with his master and honourable, um, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Now, this is interesting, this, because it mentions here, and this is a great uh, witness to us, that the Lord can work through all individuals, not just has to be people of this church, and it doesn't just have to be people who are Christians. The Lord can work through anyone um, who will listen to the promptings that they receive by the Holy Ghost. Remember, all individuals, all children of God can receive the light of Christ, and promptings of the Spirit in their lives. Um, so this king, this not this king, this uh, man, Naaman, or sorry, Naaman, um, 
was someone who had delivered Syria by the um, guidance of the Lord. Uh, but again, of course, uh, he is a leper. Uh, and the, um, his wife says to, uh, to one of her helpers, Would God, my Lord, were, in, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Um, and one of the servants comes and says that there is a prophet in the land of Israel. He tells them about Elisha. Uh, so they, so they, so he takes with him to go to the prophet. Uh, the king actually sends Naaman to go to, to Israel with a letter, and takes ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. Now let's try and figure out here how, how much this was. Um, in one particular translation or analysis that I was reading, which was which, which was confirmed by another one. Um, both the ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold would equate to about eighteen thousand, seventeen thousand pounds in today's money. So a significant sum, uh, particularly uh, as this is being asked to to perform a miracle by God, um, which you know, as as we'll see, Elisha won't accept this um, this amount uh, for completing this um, healing. But there's also the ten changes of raiments, and don't forget we've mentioned before about how valuable um clothing was uh, in that time as well for us today it, you know 10 10 outfits for example would not yeah it would, it would be significant but it certainly wouldn't be breaking the bank uh, i imagine particularly where depending on where you get the, the clothes from um but in those days it was very significant most people had one change of clothing if that uh, so to have 10 changes of raiments uh, this is significant uh so naaman goes uh, to uh, find Elisha uh, so that he could be healed um, but as we probably remember when, Naam when uh, Naaman comes with his horses and his chariots uh, and that is mentioned quite a few times that he takes horses and chariots again indicating the wealth and the status that, um, that Naaman has Elisha sends a messenger and says go and wash in Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean now we know about this uh, story probably um, that this is a something which Naaman is not impressed with. In fact, he's not just unhappy; he's wroth in verse eleven, and says, "Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, <clears throat> and recover the leper." Naaman then goes on to uh, reason further for his um, dis uh, displeasure and his anger, and says. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in his rage. As we know, however, Naaman is fortunate in that he has servants who clearly um, believe that, that the prophet is inspired and tell him that if the prophet had done some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he said, saith unto thee, wash and be clean? So Naaman does go, uh, wash in the Jordan, and he is cleaned. Um, and there's a couple of um, quotes I want to, to mention here, which kind of indicates a few things we can learn from this. Bruce A. Carlson taught, um, quote, Naaman was directed to the prophet Elisha. During this prophetic promise to be cured, Naaman was offended that Elisha did not greet him in person, and even more insulted with the prophet's direction to wash seven times in the small and muddy river Jordan. 
His pride demanded something more noteworthy and grand, something matching his stature and place in the community and nation. Fortunately for Naaman, his servants convinced him that regardless of what the prophet asked him to do, if obeyed, it would bring the Lord's blessings. Obedience to the Lord's commandments, in spite of how trivial or unimportant we believe them to be, will surely bring his promised blessings. Close quote. So that is um, one aspect of this, is that pride and um, a belief in what, in, in our, well, an expectation of how the Lord should answer our prayers uh, can be an issue, and we need to work on that. Uh, Elder David A. Bednar also talked about meekness, uh, using this story as an example. He said, quote, meekness is a defining attribute of the Redeemer and is distinguished by righteous responsiveness, willing submissiveness, and strong self-restraint. The Christ-like quality of meekness often is misunderstood in our contemporary world. Meekness is not strong, not weak. It's, sorry, meekness is strong, not weak, active, not passive, courageous, not timid, restrained, not excessive, modest, not self-aggrandizing, and gracious, not brash. A meek person is not easily provoked, pretentious, or overbearing, and readily accepts and readily acknowledges the accomplishments of others. Whereas humility generally denotes dependence upon God uh, and the constant need for his guidance and support, a distinguishing characteristic of meekness is a particular spiritual receptivity to learning both from the Holy Ghost and from people who may seem less capable, experienced, or educated, who may not hold important positions, or who otherwise may not appear to have much to contribute. Recall how Naaman, captain of the king's army in Syria, overcame his pride and meekly accepted the advice of his servants to obey Elisha the prophet and wash in the river Jordan seven times. Meekness is the principal protection from the prideful blindness that often arises from prominence, position, power, wealth, and adulation. Close quote. I love that by um, Elder Bednar and that clear explanation of meekness and what that should be for us. Here, Naaman, whilst initially having a prideful and angry response, clearly shows he has a level of meekness because it is when his servants, his people who, remember, are below him, he has done so many things for the, for the land of Syria. He has great wealth and great prosperity and status and power. And yet he listens to his servants and reflects on their comments and goes and does what Elisha had asked him to do. This would have taken great meekness. And you can imagine uh, in this experience, uh, a person without such meekness, hearing what his servants say and just completely disregarding them, perhaps even putting them to death, depending on how angry he was, for daring to question his uh, his views on the matter. And yet, um, he, he listens. He goes down, um, listening to the words of his servants and obeying the word of the prophet Elisha, uh, and he is made clean. Uh, and I think that, that Naaman... You know, again, it's one of those examples in the scriptures where we look and say, oh, look how foolish he was to begin with. But, oh, he turned out all right in the end. Um, I would firmly relate to Naaman with a couple of things in, in a number of things in my life. And I'm sure we all could as well. Uh, a number of times where perhaps we were asked to do something by the prophet or we were we were prompted to do something by the Holy Spirit. And we we just disregarded it to begin with. Um, but perhaps the actions of others, the guidance of others, the words of others have helped us to, to recognize the need that we have to to change uh, and to become and in and to be able to be healed, um, often in a spiritual way. 
um, in the way that Naaman was done physically here. Um, so Naaman is grateful for this uh, blessing. Uh, and so he, in verse 15, returns to uh, Elisha and says that he now knows that there is no God in the land except for the God in Israel. Uh, and he wants to take um, the, he wants to give the things that he's brought for Elisha. Elisha refuses it. Um, and, and so Naaman accepts this. And he goes his way. But then uh, we have a bit of a negative end to this story. Um, Gehazi, who has been mentioned before in, in a previous chapter, the servant of Elisha, um, goes uh, after Naaman. Um, and Naaman asks if everything is okay. And uh, Gehazi responds in verse 22, All is well, my master have sent me, saying, Behold, even now there come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Naaman says, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in bags, two changes of um, garments, and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bear them before him. So Naaman responds and says, well, no, don't take one talent, take two. There's two of them. Take two talents, take two garments, off you go. Um, so this servant is not only like disregarding what um, the wishes of the prophet Elisha was in not having to accept gifts for, for being able to um, carry out the wishes and the, the miracles of the Lord, but he also lies to Naaman in the sense that he tells him that, oh, well, Elisha wants a few things now. Could you bring past them on? And ultimately, in verse 27, Elisha obviously knows uh, what has taken place um, because even though Gehazi tries to hide it uh, from Elisha uh, and the leprosy that was on Naaman then cleaves to Gehazi um, in a disappointing end uh, to the circumstances here. So, yeah, we have a number of things we can learn from this story, not least the, the need for, for meekness, for honesty and integrity. Um, and, uh, and again, obedience to the, to the words of the prophet, uh, because as we do that, then we can see great blessings uh, and, well, healing in our life, whether that be physical, spiritual, uh, emotional, uh, in many ways. So we've only just begun looking at these miracles. Tomorrow, we'll have another double episode where we conclude chapters um, six and seven of Second Kings, uh, and we will um, have a look at what lessons again we can learn uh, from these um, great experiences that we'll read there, including, again, you know, I mentioned that the, the experience of Naaman was probably one of the most um, well-known experiences with Elisha. We'll talk about what is probably the other most well-known experience with Elisha, um, with him, the chariots that appear uh, to come to his aid. Thank you so much uh, for listening. Thank you very much for your time. And join us tomorrow as we conclude that. Until we meet again.